Hello and welcome to today's Get German Football News podcast brought to you by the World Football Index. Today we'll be discussing the current situation at Bayern Munich and bottom club Cologne, as well as looking at other key talking points for Match A7 in the Bundesliga. Joining me as always is Mats Kaldek. How are you? I'm good, thank you Daniel. How are you? I can't complain. So anyway, let's get straight into it with obviously the main talking point is Bayern Munich. Obviously they lost to PSG in the Champions League last week, which resulted in sacking of Carlo Ancelotti on Thursday after just over a season in charge. For you, is there a moment where it's like going downhill for the Italian? There's not so much sort of one particular moment, I don't think. Um, I mean, I know that I said on the, on the podcast a couple of episodes now um, that I hadn't been as sort of sold on Ancelotti's buy-in as I was um, by Pep's buy-in. Um, you know, there was, there was a drop-in uh, in terms of the number of points they're getting each season. Um, I thought that the drop in performances in particular was quite noticeable. Um, they didn't look anywhere near as comfortable. But it's that odd one, isn't it, with a big club when they were never actively bad. They just weren't, you know, they were good, but they weren't great. And, um, and unfortunately, that wasn't really, that wasn't really good enough. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't uh, permissible under, under those circumstances. And also, when you think the fact that Ancelotti was brought in um, to sort of steer them to a Champions League win, and uh, struggling this year didn't, you know, didn't do it last year. Um, you can kind of see sort of where that's they've been sort of um, where they've gone wrong there, um, in that they were expecting so much better from Ancelotti, and you know, not just the board, but I think the fans probably when they got Ancelotti in were thinking, well, here's our, here's our, here's the guys can lead us to a Champions League win after after your punk isn't it? Wasn't to be. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to look at that defeat to Hoffenheim. I mean, Julian Nagelsmann is a modern-day manager as opposed to Ancelotti, who's you know perhaps dated now. He's been around a couple of decades. But to be honest, even though well, they've lost uh, two games in nine in uh, both Europe and the Bundesliga. And to be honest, only five points off Borussia Dortmund at the top. Do you think it's a case of saying you know? We're buying Munich. We must win, or else it's deemed a failure for them. Yeah, I think so. I think um, uh, I'm not saying necessarily that should be the case because obviously you want the Bundesliga to be as competitive as possible. But I think that the board, having seen what's happened really since since you know the Jupp Heynckes treble and then Pep's dominance, and then you know again last season they were sort of pushed to begin with by Le- by Leipzig, but then. Uh, they sort of rallied and won again. I think that's exactly what they expect. They expect the absolute best, um, certainly domestically. Um, and I think that is, yeah, like I said, it, it's good, but it's not great. And I think that when you know Karl Hans Rummenigge appointed someone like Ancelotti, he expected the absolute best. Um, I think you know as well. You, you mentioned Nagelsmann and, and the the sort of the difference in philosophy between the two. And I think it's to do with the fact that Ancelotti. I suppose he was, he's the archetypal, you know, big club transitional manager because he's not going to upset the apple cart um, too much, although he has, you know, done that to some extent at Bayern. Um, and he's so incredibly experienced and he's, and he's so sort of, you know, he's so attuned to European football. So he's a very, he's a quite clearly a big club manager. That's presumably why they went for him, but um, they've not got what they wanted out of him, which is the Champions League. And I think ultimately that's probably why he's paid the price because that 3-0 loss against PSG was absolutely devastating. Obviously, you've already touched on it briefly about buying summer dealings. 
for me, I'm surprised they let Douglas Costa join Juventus because obviously they've got Ruby and Robin, Robin who aren't getting any younger. Do you think, like they perhaps thought Ancelotti may leave in the summer, given that they really haven't bought as well as the the Dubland? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure whether that whether Ancelotti was ever lined up to leave in the summer, but I think that um, pinning pinning this on their summer recruitment is also not necessarily uh, correct because obviously you know Bayern don't tend to push for the really really big stars because they have so many already. You know they've got an absolutely outrageous team, but um, I think there is something in the in the idea that they've got one of the best sort of first 11s going. Um, and that's what people look at. And then maybe they've got a really good sort of 15, 16 players in that squad, like an absolute top side. But when it gets down to it, there are some absolutely gaping holes um, in that in that team. I mean, like uh, case in point, who when Lewandowski gets injured, who comes in? We've said it time and time again, who comes in? Why are they using a young midfielder, essentially, as a right back? You know, don't no disrespect to um, Joshua Kimmich, but since Lam left, they've, they've not bought a archetypal right back. And it's no, no matter how good uh, Kimmich is, he's a midfielder, a midfielder, and to stick him at right back for you know the foreseeable future is, I think, probably going to damage him in terms of what he can do and what he can be. Um, I know he plays right back for Germany as well, but you know he's he's so good technically on the ball, and it's 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 things like that where. It's it neglects. They've neglected the squad somewhat, and they're paying the price now. I'm quite surprised they didn't go for Nelson Smedo, who's obviously joined Barcelona, which you know, he's proven out to be a good signing. But just talk to me about the you know play revolt that went on, because reports by kickers suggested that five senior players turned against Ancelotti, and that included you know both Boateng and Hummels. You know how bad must it have been for key players to, to turn against their coach? It must have it must have gone pretty bad, yeah. I mean, I think the other ones were I saw mentioned were uh, Muller, Robin, and Lewandowski who'd all gone against him. Um, so yeah, obviously things weren't quite right there for whatever reason. I think one of the main ones and one of the most interesting ones for me is um, to see what happens with Thomas Muller now because he has been nowhere near the force he was under Pep Guardiola um, and also your Pankers. I mean, he he scored. He scored nearly 80 goals in three seasons under Pep Guardiola in all competitions. And he's only managed 10 in two seasons under, under Ancelotti. Um, and he hasn't been producing for, for Germany either, or not in the same way that we expect of him. So, you know, if if Ancelotti was the, was the issue there, then I think we could well be seeing a return of Muller, you know, the, the Muller we know and love, really. Um, so I think it, it could be, you know, the fact that he was out the side and he wasn't doing so well and it could be that frustration that's built up and that's, that's fueled this player revolt. Now, obviously, Muller's farm, you know, it can be to blame, but you know, you got two up against both Wolfsburg and Hertha Berlin and you know, obviously they threw away a two goal lead and both finished two two. Just what went wrong in those games and you know what do they need to do to get out of this slump that they are in? It's difficult to pinpoint as well. Um what exactly is going wrong? Because I think it, it's quite—it's been quite, quite characteristic of Ancelotti's buying in, in the sense that they haven't—they haven't hit the heights of of how they were under Pep, and they didn't look anywhere near as comfortable against the smaller sides, um, which you know exhibited by what you just said there. And I think that it's not so much about you know arresting this this slump; it's about 
I think it goes a lot sort of deeper than that. It's about, um, I think probably the main thing I would say from what I've seen is, is complacency, um, which for a side as big as Bayern Munich is unforgivable, really. Um, but, you know, it's the fact that they've been so dominant for so long. I think it's it would be, you know, to get complacent is, is you know, um, is, is terrible. But also it's understandable when you think about the fact that they've had no real domestic challenges. Um, and I think that now, you know, Dortmund have got their act together. Um, uh, you know, Hoffenheim had, had their number. Um, so I think it could be to do with the fact that, you know, Bayern have now, they need to wake up, essentially, um, because what they were doing wasn't really working. Yeah, and obviously the, you know, the question now is who will succeed, Ancelotti. How do you see this panning out? Um, I mean, I was looking at the um, at some of the odds and some of the names being thrown around. It's not, it's hardly the most sort of inspiring selection for me. I mean, you've got Thomas Tuchel, who's I think the current favourite, who, um, you know, he fell he fell out of favour at Dortmund. And uh, he's been sort of cast aside a little bit, um, and he's been, you know, he's been linked with Chelsea as well. But I think now they're they're a bit more solid. So Thomas Tuchel probably is the man that's, you know, in in the frame, um, which would be an interesting one. Uh, also, Willie Sanyol, who's, you know, the current interim head coach. Um, again, you know, not a huge amount of pedigree behind him, but you know, he's done he's done a good job. So, or, you know, he's he's done a good job as, as the uh, assistant um, Julian Nagelsmann as well has been mentioned um, I wonder if he's perhaps too young um, he's a great manager obviously but it's you know he's arguably not, not had to deal with the big personalities and characters that that Ancelotti had to deal with so I think that would certainly be something of a risk no matter how good he is you know technically I think what Ancelotti lacked was uh, a distinctive sort of philosophy, and I think that's something that Bayern would like to get back. So I think if if they went with like a Tuchel or a Nagelsmann, it could you know it could work out really well. But yeah, you do worry about their their ability to handle the the, the big stars and the big personalities. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was spark built that first reported talks had taken place with Tuchel, but even though they get some right, they're not always reliable. But just on him being an ego himself, do you think he can perhaps manage those that? Ancelotti couldn't. I think there's a chance. Yeah, I think what worries me about Thomas Tuchel is the fact that he, uh, you know, it was more or less his ego that saw him uh, leave Dortmund. So you wonder whether it would be the case where he has a, you know, a nice resurgent effect to begin with at Bayern, and then the same troubles, the same sort of struggle between manager and player, and you know that the the, the power void will open up again. Um, That'll be my worry with Thomas Tuchel. Um, I think his, you know, he obviously his footballing philosophy is sound and it's all there uh, to instill in Bayern. Um, I think it's it's going to be a job for a big character though, and, I'm, and you know, I, th- I think Tuchel has has already shown he can have quite a fractious relationship with the with the board and the people behind the scenes. And obviously, you've uh, mentioned the manner in the way he left Dortmund. Should it should the move happen? You know, how do you see him working with? both Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Uli Hornis, or do you see it's like a stumbling block and, you know, might that go against him? Um, I think, realistically, if, if Rummenigge and, and Hornis want their man, they're going to get him because um, I think as a, as a German person, it'll be very difficult to turn down the allure of, of managing a club, club like Bayern. So I think that 
if um, if Tuchel's the man they want, he's not going to sort of stand in their way with with silly demands and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think it'll only become apparent whether he whether or not he's the right character for it when he gets sort of gets settled and when and when uh, the dust starts to settle on his time at Bayern. Um, I think it'll become apparent whether or not he's got the personality to deal with people in the dressing room. Like I mentioned, obviously, I think uh, Nagelsmann is obviously a fan favourite here. But personally, I can't see him joining for, well, until at least the end of the season or, you know, a year or two. Yeah. If he does join in the summer, can you see Tuchel taking the coaching job for, like, what, six months, seven months? No, I think that um, Thomas Tuchel will, will be after, we mentioned his ego before, I think he'll be after a job that'll that'll keep him in it for a while. And I think that it's unlikely that he take that job just as a, as more or less an interim for when, you know, Nagelsmann's ready for it. Because I think that, um, he think, I think Tuchel is probably, uh, of the opinion that he's better than that. I think he probably is better than that. I think he shouldn't be in the position where he's having to interim before, um, you know, a more exciting younger manager comes in. Um, that's not, that's not him. Um, and that shouldn't be him. But in terms of Nagelsmann, I incline to, to agree with you. I think he'll be, a year or two until he's really sort of looked at because um, right now he is still very young. I mean, I think he's, you know, if he's not yet 30, he's only just turned 30. Um, it, it's it's sort of, you know, it's kind of a bit like when you've got a really young player who goes to a, a huge, huge club early on in their career and they never really get settled. I think that Nagelsmann could take a little bit more time, get his managerial style a bit more refined and a bit more, you know, um, distinctive. And uh, you know, iron out some of the creases, and I think then he'll be ready for Bayern, but not not now, no. And obviously, we've mentioned outside as well. A name that's been linked is Xabi Alonso. Obviously, we've seen what Zidane has done at Real Madrid. Do you think that's a realistic name, or is that you know again three or four years away, perhaps? Um, I think it's quite sort of pie in the sky. I think it's um, it's quite a romantic choice. I think. Uh, I don't see it as being, being a particularly credible one. I think it's it, it, the thing with Zidane is that he is so incredibly well respected in the dressing room that it, it was just left to him to sort of leave his his Galacticos to do as they would. And you know, it was more or less he was the catalyst for it as opposed to the person who you know was instrumental in it all. Um, it was more him, you know, letting them do their own thing. And I think Alonso would need to do more than that at Bayern. I think he need to, you know, um, give all the players, you know, kick up the arse basically and say, you know, don't get complacent, stop it. Um, you know, things were fine when he was there. Um, but you do wonder whether it's a, you know, on, again, I know Zidane's, it was Zidane's first major managerial role, but that I think that's quite exceptional. Um, I'm not sure whether Xabi Alonso is ready for that. I'm not sure whether... He's had enough time to actually enjoy retirement yet, um, so I think if you know, maybe a few years down the line, if if at all, but certainly not now. Again, I think we're covered by in great detail there. So, just moving on to Cologne next. You know, obviously they lost again at the weekend. You know, just describe their situation because you know, they're in Europe for the first time in twenty five years and without a single win all season in both Europe <laughs> and the league. Things are starting to look bleak for you know what is essentially the fourth biggest club in Germany in terms of membership. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It's um, 
they they did so well last season, and, and you know I think it was quite clear they were going to come through and and do pretty well. But it, that was that hasn't been the case. Um, I think that they're uh, you know we've, we've said all along on the, on the podcast that they're really missing um, Modest. Um, we've said that they haven't had the uh, they've replaced him adequately. Um, I think it can't be emphasised enough how sort of important he was to the side. Um, their entire attack was more or less built around him, and um, and now I think with especially with the injuries that they've got, I'm, I'm sure we'll go into that in a second. But especially with the injuries they've got, you know, having lost Cordoba now, it doesn't look good. They're not scoring goals and they're not defending particularly brilliantly, um, and I think they're in big, big trouble. Uh, I think I think we said maybe on the first podcast we did that they would struggle with. Uh, the demands of European and domestic football. I think that that's, that's proving to be the case. If I remember rightly, I think Medescard, 25 of Cologne's 51 league goals last season. So, you know, it's a substantial amount. And obviously you mentioned the injury crisis as well. It, just how big of a miss is Jonas Hector and Marcel Rousseau to this side? Yeah, massive. I think that, you know, as, as we say, Cordoba uh, gone on the weekend um, with a hamstring injury. Um, Hector has torn his ligaments, I think, and he's facing a couple of months out. Um, he's going to be a huge loss because he, I guess, when he gets down to it, um, Anthony Modest was their sort of talismanic player. And then when he left, you probably have to say it was Jonas Hector. You know, he was the man that when Liverpool wanted him, he stayed, he stayed put and he was loyal to Cologne. And then, you know, he did such a good job last season getting into the, um, uh, getting into the Europa League. And and now he's out. You, you look at that side, and it doesn't look particularly brilliant. Um, same with Reese as well. You know they're all on the sidelines for what looks to be quite some time. And having a side as disrupted like, like that with three key players is the last thing that Peter Sturger needs. Um, and yeah, I think going back to the to the transition from going to just domestic to domestic and European football, um, that is probably the main the main cause of it because they're, they're not getting as much rest they're not you know they're, they're playing so many games in quick succession um, I think that's pretty taking, taking its toll now on the, on the squad and Just going back to the goal scoring crisis obviously, obviously they've only scored two goals in seven games this season now, they signed Claudio Pizarro on Friday just what sort of signing is he and how can he use his experience you know perhaps helps his, help this Cologne side doesn't need to be said, but he's an incredibly experienced player. Um, and in fairness to Cologne, they're in fairly dire straits, so it's not exactly a surprise. Um, I think people will people tend to look at signings like this and they'll say, "Oh, you know, they're they're too old, or what are they going to do?" And it's and it's sort of like, yeah, they might be old, but what what choice do Cologne have now? I mean, the transfer window, you know, was open. They should have signed someone. They didn't really. Um, and now they've got to make do. But what are they going to do? Like, not sign him. I think it's in their predicament. It's better to have him than not because um, I think we can look at that signing as as a, as a galvanising point. And hopefully, with his experience, he'll be able to be of great help on the pitch as well as um, being a figure in the dressing room that people can look up to and you know sort of be inspired by. So I think that you know, obviously, it's not the, the Hollywood signing that. They may they may be needed to replace Modest, but they needed someone. They needed something to arrest this slump, and um, here's hoping that Pizarro can be the man to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think after the game on Sunday, he said something like, 
you know, just give all the pressure to him and, you know, let the other players relax. And, you know, with, with um, Cologne needing at least three wins just to get out of the relegation zone, a lot, relegation zone alone, and that is if results go that way. You know, where do you see this run ending and how important is it to keep Peter Stroger? Um, I mean, I think that we just see how they get on with, with Pizarro and see what they're like after the international break. Um, personally, I think it would be really nice to see a club stand by someone who's done uh, you know, so well for them in recent times, um, as opposed to <laughs> sort of shafting them as soon as the going gets tough. If it continues after the international break, I could see Stoga being gone by November. But I think um, I think it remains to be seen because, you know, uh, international break is always a good opportunity for clubs to sort of you know, sort of sit and take stock of where they're at. And that is, that is exactly what Cologne need right now. Um, so, yeah, it's difficult to say, but I think that we could we could have a look at what they're like after the international break. And uh, and if things are still bad, then you you probably have to say uh, Stoger would have to, something's got to change and it probably will be Peter Stoger. And just quickly on RB Leipzig now. You know, obviously they beat Cologne 2 0, and that was now Timo Werner and Naby Keita. They move up to fourth with that win. Do you, do you see them qualifying for Europe again? Looking at their performances so far, I think so. I mean, I, because, purely because I think that you know that they did it last season um, and they're replicating performances without their main players this season. They're not doing you know drastically badly in the Champions League either. Um, you know, couple a couple of tough fixtures, but other than that, I think that they're they're sort of holding their own at least. Um, but uh, I can see them. I can see them, certainly see them challenging for Europe again. I don't think it'll be, you know, the heady heights of, of second. Um, I think it'll very much be like a, a scramble for the for the um, for the top four in essence. Um, but no, they've, they've started well enough, and I, I, I don't see any reason why they couldn't continue um, in that particular vein. And just sticking with Europe, obviously, it was a Champions League and Europa League last week. Uh, it wasn't the best weeks for German football. You know, <laughs> six teams were in the competitions and all six lost. Uh, two goals scored, 12 conceded. It's not looking too good for German clubs at the minute. Do you see this improving as we head into the third match day in Europe? No, it's, it's, not, it's not looking good, is it? Um, I think, just just, just to quickly make, make a wider point on that, um, I think that given what's happening now with... with um, with the German sides in Europe. I think it's partly to do with the nature of the Bundesliga, which means that German clubs are suffering. Um, because number one, you know, Bayern absolutely walking the, the Bundesliga year after year has made it less competitive. You know, it's, it's now no longer about who's going to win the title. It's now who's going to come first behind Bayern. And I think that's a, a quite unhealthy for a league. So it's nice to see, you know, Dortmund pushing up there this season again. Um, you know, clubs perhaps haven't got the aspiration or drive to succeed when they've when they've got this insurmountable object in the form of Bayern Munich. So I think that's probably quite a bad thing for them. Uh, number two, I think the very sort of the upper mid table of the Bundesliga is very fluid and it's always moving and there's always different clubs in there um, who are challenging for Europe. And which I mean, I think it means that fewer get the chance to establish themselves in Europe, um, which you know in turn means less experience in, in big European competitions, less experience in handling a squad capable of, of challenging on a couple of fronts. Um, so I think those are all factors which, which play a part in in why German clubs, you know, of late have not been doing particularly well in Europe. 
Um, but I, I, I can see, you know, of course, I can I can see that sort of slump subsiding. I'm not I'm not going to say that any of those six clubs are going to win their respective competitions. Um, but I think that Dortmund are in a very very tricky group. Um, you know, put the group of death without a shadow of a doubt. You put them in any other group, and um, I think that they'd be doing really really well because they've been so good under Peter Bosch recently. Um, you know, Bayern obviously uh, they did they, they did win their first game. Um, so, you know, and they're, and they're up against a very, very good PSG side. So not sure how much we can read into that. Although, obviously, um, the higher-ups at Bayern did read a lot into it. Um, and then again, you know, you've got teams like Hoffenheim and Hertha and Cologne who are all, and Leipzig, of course, who are all relatively inexperienced and are all part of that sort of fluid upper mid-table where no one really gets settled. So I think that, you know, once once they sort of get accustomed to it, and once they get settled, it, 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 it'll, uh, it'll it'll work out okay. But for the time being, I think it's um, you know it's it, it they're all struggling for their all individual for their own individual reasons that there's no real easy fix to. Obviously, you mentioned Borussia Dortmund. There, they played two and lost two in the group of death against Tottenham and Real Madrid. Real Madrid. To be honest, it wasn't the worst performance against Real Madrid on Tuesday, was it? No, not at all. Um, I think they played. Really well, as bad as well as you could, you know, have expected them to without without you know picking up points. Um, I mean, again, we spoke very very briefly about it earlier, but that that Real Madrid side is, is something else. There, the the first side to win, you know, back to back Champions Leagues. Um, so to expect anything other than you know a loss would it would have been a remarkable result if it won. Um, and again, against against Spurs, I think that was probably just the occasion to better them. Um, you know, playing at Wembley um, back there after that um, 2013 final. You know, I think that probably played a little bit, a little part in it, as well as the fact that Spurs are on absolutely exceptional form this season. As it stands, I don't see Dortmund getting out of the uh, the group stage, but um, that isn't necessarily um, an absolute travesty for them, particularly given the fact that. They are in the group of death, and uh, they have had, you know, two incredibly tricky fixtures. You know, I, th- I think that they could could well turn over Tottenham at home. Um, I think that if they went into the uh, Madrid game uh, at the Bernabeu with a with a relatively open mind, I think they could, you know, um, spring a surprise. And as well, I think it's Apple and Casilla, isn't it, who are the other team in the group. Um, I don't think they'll, they'll have any issues against them. So there's every chance that they could turn it around but as it stands I don't see them getting out of the group Just quickly for those that no, obviously you didn't see it just describe what happened with Timo Werner at Besiktas and what happened there I'm not actually sure what, what, what that is um, and I haven't would you mind explaining it yeah I mean what obviously like foreign fans and especially Turkey they always whistle when the opposition has a ball and I think against Liverpool a couple of years ago they actually uh I recorded like the loudest decibel in the stadium, and it made Timo Werner feel unwell. So he had to be subbed off. He tried earplugs and everything, but he just felt unwell. To be honest, I don't know what what's the matter with him because he missed a game against Cologne, and he was named in the Germany national team, which will come on to next. But he's been since pulled out of that, and a replacement hasn't been called up. So. I guess over the international break, we'll just have to see what sort, you know, what what's essentially happened to him. 
Yeah, that is absolutely bizarre, isn't it? Well, yeah. As we've mentioned, it is the national break this weekend, and Germany play Northern Ireland and Azerbaijan in their group. Given that Mesut Ozil isn't in the in the team, how do you see them lining up? Um, I am expecting and hoping for quite an experimental side. Um, I think that you know, in in that sort of midfield role, that creative midfield role, where Ozil would likely have played, um, I think we'll see uh, Draxler. Um, I think there's every chance we could see Julian Brandt there as well. Um, I'd quite like to see uh, Emre Chan partnering uh, Tony Cruz. To be honest, I think he, you know, he's not been playing for Liverpool recently, but I think that um, playing alongside someone with with the passing range of of, of Cruz could really sort of free Chan up to be that that true box to box role uh, player that he is. Um, also, arguably the most exciting player that I'd, I'd like to see is um, uh, Leroy Sane. I'd love I'd love to see him cement his place in that. Germany first eleven because for my money he's been one of the best players in the Premier League this season, um, and given the given the personnel in the Premier League, that's that's not you know that's not something to be said lightly. So I think that if he can um, if he can seal down one of those spots on the wing, that'll be absolutely exceptional for them. Um, so and also I think that as you said earlier, it might now be time to watch out for what Thomas Muller can do um, now that he appears to have gotten rid of the apparent. <laughs> Uh, Ancelotti curse and obviously with eight wins for mate so far in their group you know, they're pretty much nailed on to qualify for Russia yeah. it certainly does but with the squad you know that maybe he took um, he took to the Confederations Cup do they have what it takes to retain the World Cup um, I think they do yeah I, I personally think that they should have um, they should have won the Euros last, last year um, I think they're, they're the best um, the best and most talented team um, Confederations Cup again. Uh, I thought that they, you know, they brought a relatively inexperienced squad. Um, but you know, some of those players really, really shone for me. Um, and I think that if next, if by next summer, um, you know, all their players are, are fit and firing, so you know, that's that's including Manuel Neuer, who's still not back. Um, you know, if they've got, if they go into the games with with Hummels and Butting um, as their centre halves. If they've got, you know, uh, the likes of Tony Cruz and Mesa Ozil um, firing fit in the midfield, I think they've got every single chance. Um, and I think that they probably will go into that tournament as as favourites, um, probably along with France. And just finally, a tweet question for you to answer from at GK Enston underscore. Uh, why are players putting off and running their contracts down at Schalke? He hasn't named names, but... I'm guessing it's Leon Goretzka. I think it's quite a common feature with any sort of um, big team in, who are in limbo because obviously Schalke are you know enormous team. Uh, um, I think it's it's more they don't want to commit until they're sure of progression and improvement with Schalke, or or when they've got a better move lined up elsewhere. Um, so I think it, you know it could be something to do with the fact that if a player wants to now leave Schalke it's potentially a better option to run down the contract and and play rather than um, rebel because you know with with sort of player rebellions there always comes that risk of being you know farmed out to train with the reserves and all that sort of stuff and that can you know damage a career more than just playing out your contract can also i think in this <laughs> in this particular climate um, leaving on a free is a lot less 
stressful and time consuming than you know waiting for a Premier League team to, to pay their silly money. Um, I think after this summer we might see Premier League sides maybe back away a little bit and say I'm not I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not paying that not paying that money. So I think that you know waiting so that you can leave on your own terms on your own accord is probably um, a good tactic. I think that. Um, we might well see Goretzka do that. I think that there are a lot of huge uh, clubs after him. Um, you know, he's a, a culture midfielder. Um, obviously, Bayern are the big ones that are in for him. Uh, potentially, as a long-term replacement for uh, Xabi Alonso. Um, I think he will. He will leave. I think he will see his contract out. Um, but I don't. I don't necessarily think it's 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 a particular problem with Schalke. I think it's a more of a common feature in general with with teams that aren't. And neither here nor there in terms of um, you know how uh, how much they're challenging. And finally, Xander Wilkinson asked, um, "How much longer do you think Klon would stick with Stoke?" Which you know, obviously, he said November. Just quickly, any further comment on that? Yeah, I, th- I think that um, obviously we we'll have to see what happens after the international break. But I think there, are, you know, we'll we'll probably see him. For my money, I think well, he'll be gone by November if they can't turn it round. But um, I mean, you you never know. There are a number of sort of uh, intangible factors which allow teams to to play well. Um, I think that you know the arrival of Pizarro both on and off the field um, could be a bit of a turning point. Um, and I think that uh, just a break generally could um, could see them sort of you know reset and refresh slightly and uh, and come back um, come back you know fit and firing and and ready to try and turn it around. Um, so there's a number of things which which can happen, but. You know, if they don't arrest this slump sooner, I can see uh, Sturgery being gone by November, certainly. And that's actually it for this podcast. I, you know, I think we've covered the topics rather well. Matt, you know, quickly tell us where the listeners can find you on social media. Um, so you can find me uh, at Matt Cowdock, um, and then also um, just in and out of the Get Jones Football News uh, website as well. And you can also find me at Daniel J Pinder. But make sure you follow both Get German Football News at GDFN underscore and the World Football Index at World Football Eye on Twitter. And until next time, goodbye.